Navigate Oklahoma, a podcast geared towards helping you navigate to and through everything that is Oklahoma transportation. Welcome to this edition of Navigate Oklahoma. I'm Jessica Brown, the Director of Strategic Communications for Secretary of Transportation, Tim Gatz. Mr. Gatz is here with us today. Thank you for being here. Absolutely, Jessica. Let's talk about the funding of our state's infrastructure and where do we get that money and, and how do we know what to spend it on? So I think if you look at uh, the primary revenue inputs, I'll start with the state level. Uh, at the state level, uh, we've got motor fuel tax that comes to the department in the form of appropriated dollars, uh, and those dollars are directed by the legislature, and that usually amounts to somewhere between 180 and, and 200, a little over 200 million a year. Uh, and again, those are appropriated dollars that come to us. And what those dollars are used for primarily is our day-to-day -day operating budget, uh, payroll, uh, and maintenance activities. Uh, also, we have the roads fund at the state level, and th that is comprised of motor fuel tax, uh, a little bit of motor vehicle license excise tax and fees, uh, and a little bit of income tax. So between those two revenue inputs, and right now, uh, the roads fund is a portion dollars, and those apportionments uh, come in the form of uh, revenue input valued at about $575 million uh, that goes into the roads fund. Uh, that is a primary funding input into our eight-year construction work plan, but that also funds some of our maintenance operations, and it also funds our asset preservation plan. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that investment strategy uh, in just a minute. Uh, but really, those are, those are the state revenue inputs and primary. We have other revolving funds and things like that that I would consider uh, not primary sources of funding, especially when it comes to managing our day-to-day -day infrastructure. Uh, the other revenue source is from the federal government. That comes in the form of dollars that are uh, brought to us through a formula uh, and through a piece of authorizing legislation at the federal level. Uh, we often call that the highway bill. Uh, the highway bill that we're under right now is the uh, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, EJA, and it's a different type of a highway bill than I've ever experienced before. It's really a hybrid is what I'd call it, because uh, typically we get a five-year authorizing piece of legislation uh, that really is focused on the highway system. Uh, one point that I'd make is the highway bill uh, at a point in time was funded entirely with motor fuel tax collections at the federal level. Uh, over, really since about 2008, the motor fuel tax that's being collected at the federal level is not fully funding the federal investment in infrastructure anymore by itself. Uh, so periodically the Congress has come in and injected general revenue into the highway bill in order to not reduce federal investment levels. And, I, and that's an important concept. So the motor fuel tax collections alone are not supporting the current investment levels back into transportation. It's not that collections are down, 
It's just that we have had a desire to make a higher level of investment and uh, over time that investment level has outpaced motor vehicle or motor fuel tax collections. Uh, again, motor fuel tax collections over time we know are going to be impacted by things like electric vehicles. Uh, we're going to have to transition to non-traditional revenue uh, generation methods. Uh, but again, that's not the effect that we're seeing right now in the Highway Trust Fund. Uh, it will materialize over time, but we haven't seen that trend just yet. Uh, I talk about motor fuel tax a lot uh, because both at the state level and the federal level, it's a primary source and, and very intuitive for the public. You know, the taxpayers believe that their motor fuel tax collections should go back into funding infrastructure investments. Uh, and it's been that way for a hundred years. You know, motor fuel tax has been around since the early 1900s, and it has been a great source of revenue for transportation investment because if you think about it, you know, as vehicles became more numerous out on the highways and then there's been more and more miles traveled every year, uh, it's a consumption tax, so the more uh, gallons of gasoline that are used, the higher the collections have been. But between fuel efficiency standards and again, a move towards alternative fuels, uh, those collections over time, and especially from about right now, are going to begin to flatten and probably decline. As we've got to be cognizant of that. Uh, the policymakers, both in the Congress and at the state level, have got to be cognizant of that. But again, that's not what's driving that insolvency, if you would, in the Highway Trust Fund. Uh, that's primarily again just an investment level that has been set higher than what motor fuel tax collections are generating. With EJA, uh, it has a lot of moving parts to it uh, and it's brand new so we're still in the process of, an, uh, of analyzing it at the federal level and uh, really understanding what all it means. Uh, one of the unique aspects, and you heard me call it a hybrid, because it has formula-based dollars uh, and, and the formula-based dollars that are in this five-year authorization uh, are plussed up a little bit. So we feel like uh, by the time we get to the end of EJA, the, the five-year authorization is going to bring us probably about 20% more money to be, go, to be invested in things like the eight-year construction work plan. Uh, so again, it's, that's a good thing to have increased federal investment. In addition to those formula dollars, in Egypt, there is a record amount of discretionary spending. And what discretionary spending translates to is grant programs. Uh, Oklahoma has competed pretty well in, in uh, competitions for discretionary dollars, and we will continue to do that. Uh, so we will go after some of those discretionary programs. The difference between that and formula funding, though, is you can't factor that into our funding projections we use for the eight-year plan. Uh, you have to be able to have projects ready uh, and then go after those dollars with no guarantee of ever receiving a penny. Uh, so that's something that uh, we're going to have to factor into some of our decision making for the future. Uh, we'll pursue those discretionary programs very aggressively. I know that's important to the governor for us to try to bring every federal dollar that we can back to Oklahoma and we'll stay focused on that. But again, this is a different highway bill uh, than we've had in the past and uh, we've got to be attentive to that. 
we've got to try to uh, really look at all aspects of uh, everything from maybe some new guidance and, and regulation that's going to be uh, progressed in the context of the highway bill uh, and be prepared to react to that uh, as it materializes. Uh, because again, the day that a highway bill is passed, you're going to get thousands of pages of legislation uh, and then over time that gets interpreted. So, and that'll take several years really to drill down and, and understand everything that this bill means. Uh, so if you look at the eight-year construction work plan, uh, we talk about it being funded with about 50% federal funds and about 50% state funds. Uh, and that's one piece of our investment strategy. The eight-year construction work plan, we're tackling pretty major projects, you know, major bridge replacements, uh, major pavement reconstructions, uh, major safety aspects and problems. Uh, we're straightening out curves, uh, so working on geometrics, uh, both horizontal and vertical alignment. Uh, we're making our pavements better, making our bridges better. The other investment uh, strategy that we have is asset preservation. Uh, the asset preservation program runs on a five-year window. Uh, it has a very different philosophy and it's more reactive type maintenance so there's some flexibility in how we manage that uh, asset preservation uh, program and it really equates to life cycle extending improvements so we're doing some pavement work that's overlays we're doing bridge rehabilitation work uh, where we're not doing full bridge replacement but we may be putting a new deck, a new driving surface on a bridge. Uh, we may be working on bringing it up to design standards. Uh, we may be doing some uh, infrastructure work just to, on the foundations or the uh, superstructure to extend the life of that bridge structure. Uh, so it's a little bit different of philosophy. And then at the, uh, you know, the third prong of that three-pronged approach, eight-year construction work plan, asset preservation plan, is routine maintenance. And that's the work that our boots on the ground are doing out there that's primarily state-funded. Uh, and that, again, comes from our motor fuel tax, where the guys that are out there in the districts uh, working on the highway system every day are directing those activities. And that can be everything from uh, taking care of the rights-of-way, you know, keeping the grass mowed. Uh, we've had some really challenging wet summers over the past couple of summers. And uh, if you think about that, how, how difficult that makes managing vegetation in the right-of-way. Uh, because again, you can't get in there and mow in the mud uh, because you do so much damage to the right-of-way uh, by just trying to mow the grass. So you've got to find a dry window to get in there. And that, again, can be challenging in itself. Uh, so that's part of it taking care of what's within the right-of-way fences. Uh, and then the other part is everything from patching potholes to, uh, you know, taking care of the drainage areas beside the roadways. Uh, but our uh, maintenance forces are very capable. Uh, they do great work and uh, really do a good job of performing work that, again, extends the life cycle of that infrastructure. And, uh, you know, you always equate uh, looking at our pavements, uh, you know, you don't want the roof to be leaking. So if you've got water that is able to get through the pavements into the sub base, uh, you'll see a pothole materialize pretty soon. 
Uh, so the guys are out there trying, doing their best to try to keep that from happening. Uh, we just don't have the resources to get to every location that we can uh, in the time frame that we'd like to. Uh, but they do a great job of really pushing uh, efficiencies and uh, doing what they can out there on the highway system. So three-prong attack, routine maintenance as a beginning, asset preservation is that life cycle extending work, and then our eight-year construction work plan is where we're getting into doing the replacements on bridges that are just at the end of their life cycle, pavements that are at the end of our life cycle, uh, and need to be more, have a more thorough, uh, more comprehensive investment made. You spoke about federal grants earlier, calling them disc discretionary funding. Mm -hmm. We can't rely on those, so we can't build that into the eight-year construction work plan. But talk to me about how when we get some federal grant money, we can use that money to accelerate shovel-ready projects in our eight-year work plan. And you said shovel-ready. That, you know, I think we got uh, a little bit tired of hearing about shovel-ready projects there for a while, but they're very, very important. We always try to have projects on the shelf uh, where we're, we could, if we had the, the dollars available, uh, we could pull the trigger and go out and do that construction project tomorrow. Uh, that's something that seems easy, and it's certainly easy for me to sit here and say, but it is very difficult to do. If you look at our eight-year construction work plan, the reason we've got eight years as a window is because a lot of times it takes eight years to get a project from conception all the way to construction because there are so many moving parts uh, whether you're talking about uh, really doing a full analysis and understanding what that particular section of highway needs, uh, all the way to doing the engineering, buying the right-of-way, sometimes moving utilities, uh, and then getting to construction. So it can be a long period of time, and if you're really not working hard early, you can't get those projects on the shelf that are ready to go. Uh, the department's been pretty good at uh, making sure that we've got a good shelf program uh, because that's key in getting discretionary money. Uh, you know, you're not going to do very well if you're asking for discretionary money to go buy right away for a project. You know, we want to see results. We want to see construction. So you've got to get those projects ready. And that's something we work very hard at. Uh, to try to make sure we've got a good shelf program so we can go after those discretionary dollars when they're available uh, and be very competitive. Uh, if you look at some of the recent success that we've had, uh, they've been on big projects. You know, uh, if you look at uh, uh, down in Bryan County on Highway 69 at uh, just south of Durant in, at Calera, uh, we were able to get about a $75 million grant, uh, some discretionary dollars, to help with that $150 million contract. Uh, that's huge, that's a difference maker. And we have to put ourselves in a position to be able to go after and then spend those dollars quickly. Uh, you know, the big interchanges in the metropolitan areas, we have uh, a tendency, uh, and it's dictated by resource availability, to have to do those in phases. And yet we design those projects in a manner where we've got a lot of work in those interchanges that's ready to go. If we had dollars, we'd advance it quickly. 
Uh, and a lot of times we go after discretionary dollars to help us with those big interchange investments because those can be uh, $200 to $500 million projects just by themselves. Uh, Interstate 235 and I-44 up here is a prime example. Uh, fortunately, we are nearing completion. Uh, hope to have that completed late winter, early spring, uh, and we're very excited about that. But that's been a project that's been implemented uh, over really a 20-year time period uh, with many, many different phases, uh, really starting at about 36th Street on 235 uh, and then going north uh, through the interchange. So uh, discretionary dollars are very important, but the only way you're going to access those dollars is to have projects ready uh, in, in order to be competitive in some of those programs. Thank you, Secretary Gatz, for being here and, and talking us through how we get our funding and, and how we use that funding to better our infrastructure here in Oklahoma. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this edition of Navigate Oklahoma. Until next time, drive safely and please buckle up. Thank you for listening to Navigate Oklahoma. Next week, the Oklahoma Transportation Cabinet will offer another podcast highlighting transportation points of interest. Until then, please drive carefully and always buckle up.